It didn't remind me of the Blair Witch Project, so that was unfortunate. Hello everybody, welcome back to Witch Fix, and today we're looking at Blair Witch 2 Electric Boogaloo. Uh, it's of course not called that, I'm being silly because... I have to do something to alleviate the crushing boredom of the last hour and a half of my life. True story, I went to grab some lunch in the middle of this film, didn't come back for an hour and a half. I was just so bored. Anywho, on with the review. It, it, the film is of course called Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, or as the credit sequence says, Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2, which whichever way you slice it is a long title. And uh, I'm going to trigger one right off the top for discussion of mental illness, including very poor portrayals of mental illness and mental health care, uh, infanticide, drug use and use of alcohol, miscarriage and suicide. Uh, the film is 90 minutes long and is a certificate 15 and came out in 2000, which is only a year after the original movie. And yet the two films could not be more different and could not be more widely apart. This film in particular has like big 2000s energy and you'll see what I mean as we go into it. Right at the beginning we get a title screen that pops up and tells us that what we're about to watch is actually a fictionalised film based on events that followed the original Blair Witch film. So although the Blair Witch film within like the mythos of the series claims to be real found footage, this film is a dramatisation of something that they claim actually happened. So the events of the film are not to be taken as real and I think that's an interesting idea to go with if the first film is meant to be truth and this film is meant to be fictionalised truth. Which is all the theme running through the film and I'll get back into that in my analysis if I remember to do that because by the end of this I might just have had enough of this film. We get some newscasts, some sections which I think were probably taken from like publications and release of the original film so some sort of like from late night talk shows in America. All of this is added together. There is some discussion of the movie about the legendary witch so at least the witch is very centered in this section and the story itself does focus a lot more on witchcraft and witches than the first movie so i'm pleased there we get to see some of what this film like the original film has done to burkittsville in that it is now inundated with primarily goths um, who are there because they love the film they love the mythos surrounding it and they want to see where it comes from there's a really funny section where they talk to a lady out front of her house who sells burkittsville rocks from her garden to people for ten dollars each and people are making the stick men they're making t-shirts with the like Blair Witch bloody handprints on it and people are making a mint and also there are some locals who are not happy about this who say that it is sort of destroying their town uh, with tourism that they weren't prepared for and that the film was fake it wasn't a real thing so people should stop coming there expecting it to be a real like haunted town when it's just the setting of a film we then see a guy, I guess, in some sort of psychiatric institution, although it is very much a psychiatric institution from a horror film, because we see him being, like, tube-fed through the nose, which I don't know why, because he seems to be perfectly able to feed himself, but also being, like, in a straitjacket and left to, like, throw himself around a padded cell. All of the tropes are in there. And we find out this guy's name is Jeff. So Jeff is going to be one of our main characters. In the present time, as this is sort of a flashback, he is one of the people making his money selling Blair Witch merch. Uh, and then we get the, the credit sequence at the uh, opening of the film, 
with like 2000s butt rock, just just rock, and then electric guitars for like a super long time while, while the credits come up. So obviously this film is making no effort to not look like a film. Uh, what we're watching is kind of feels at times like one of those like Hallmark, not Hallmark, Lifetime. I'm not American, but the films they make about real tragedies that just have like quite bad production values and overdramatize anything to an insulting degree. Those. That's what this feels like. With the credits, we get some scattered, very heavily edited shots of what appears to be either a massacre or some sort of occult ritual. There's a lot of stabbing and ropes and blood and bodies and different things in like flashy images and those become relevant later. We then get told that it's November 1999 and Jeff is being interviewed by the police for a brief second before we flash back to like earlier in November 1999. I feel like putting all of that information wasn't needed. What they needed to write is like 15th of November then cut it back to like 12th of November because I was focused on the year and the year didn't change so I, I was left unsure as to how far apart these events were but he's now in a van uh, which says uh, the Blair Witch Hunts on the side so I guess he's some sort of tourist company. This is confirmed when we go in the van and we see that he's taking a group of people out there for a tour. This includes Stephen who is researching a book, Stephen's girlfriend Tristan who is also working on the book and Erica who is a witch in the sense that she is a Wiccan, and I'd love to say that she wasn't the most annoying character in the movie, but she is. Erica is literally every bad Wiccan stereotype. She is one Silver Ravenworth book short of just being chef's kiss, moi, the, the, the perfect patsy for all of those annoying traits that uh, a lot of us have probably both displayed and experienced. Uh, so in that sense, the film is also witchy in that it contains uh, a kind of textbook which they go off to meet the last member of their party at a cemetery as you do and this turns out to be a goth who's gonna blow this shit wide open called kim who is lying on a grave smoking because she's cool <laughs> and they uh round her up into the van and basically she's confirmed as being psychic in some way she, she claims to have psychic powers and then debatably displays these throughout the film they in the van talk about the witch quite a lot and they refer to her as like a person someone who actually practiced witchcraft and this is more than we got in the original film so on the witch front i am very happy with this film it was very witchy so it ticked all the boxes that the first film didn't. Unfortunately, it also ticks none of the same boxes in terms of quality. So on the one hand, a good film. On the other hand, a witchy film. Why will the twain never meet? They go to a general store to pick up some supplies. Everyone there seems to be acting like zombies. There's a woman pushing a shopping cart around and there's a guy lying partially under a fridge to like repair it. But they seem just to be kind of empty eyed hillbilly stereotypes. So that's a little bit weird. They then go out to the hermit's house, I guess, uh, which is like just some stone foundations. Uh, so not the house from the original movie. I still don't know who house that was. Uh, but they go there to document occult phenomena, apparently. Kim is kind of alone in the group in that she is not a believer in the Blair Witch. Stephen doesn't really believe in it either. Uh, but he's kind of interested in it as a psychological phenomenon where she's interested in it as a movie. We learn because Kim brings it up to Tristan that Tristan's pregnant, doesn't want to keep the baby, but Stephen does. So this kind of cements Kim's reputation as psychic because 
this has not been discussed in order to have been overheard. We find that this weird stone foundation is where the tapes of the original movie were found, so there's some precedent as to why they would come here. They also find some graffiti on the wall, and uh, Erica says that this is an ancient witch alphabet. It is clearly runes, so I guess, yes, you could call that an ancient alphabet used by witches, but I wouldn't call it a witch alphabet. That's already a thing. So uh, Erica annoyed me. She says only poorly educated people who don't know about witchcraft will be scared of such markings because they're actually very nice and peaceful. So I dislike her strongly. Let's leave it at that. The most weird thing about this site is not the weird witch's alphabet. It's the fact that there's a bloody massive tree growing in the middle of a house that was meant to have been built after that tree would have had to have been there because it's huge and must have grown over many hundreds of years. Jeff points this out and everyone claims that he's just like doing this to scare them. I don't know how, like what, has he moved this tree here by himself? on a sack dolly. How has he set this up? It's just, it's a concrete fact. The tree could not have been there, but only Kim seems to be spooked by this and everyone else writes it off. Erica then goes a distance from the site and does a spell. Uh, she appears to be trying to like banish negative energy and what she has set up does look like a kind of Wiccan spell that you would do on the run. You've got your elements, you've got your bowl, it's it's all there. But she says to Tristan, when asked about it, that she is trying to commune with the spirit of Ellie Kenwood, who is the titular witch. I love saying titular witch. Uh, she says that Ellie was actually a good witch who was persecuted and she wants her to be her mentor. So she's just walked into this supposedly haunted forest, brandishing some witch stuff and is like, yo spirits, it's me, your boy, come teach me magic. So that shows a lot of care and sensitivity. This is still being intercut with scenes of the slaughter occasionally. They're just like popping up. So it's almost like a prediction of what's to come. They set up their camp in and around the ruins of the hermit house. The hermit isn't actually mentioned from this point onwards. It's mostly looking at the witch, even though they spend the night at his house, which is weird. Uh, Stephen and Tristian discuss their differing views on the Blair Witch. She thinks that myths are based on kernels of reality, whereas he thinks it is mass hysteria. This fantastic debate on the existence of witches is cut short by what the subtitles informed me was eerie shrieking. They investigate and predictably find that it is another tour group uh, who have stumbled across their site and were planning to camp there. There's a brief altercation but Stephen persuades them that they are all freaked out by something they saw at Coffin Rock so the other group heads off to Coffin Rock, including a pair of Chinese tourists who have quite racist accents. Kim says they're not going to come back, and when asked why she said that, she says she just knows it. So again, that psychic energy, although how she didn't protect any of the important events of the film is another thing entirely. Eric talks about her dad, who is apparently a minister. This becomes, I'm not going to say relevant later, but remember it guys. They all then decide to smoke weed and get massively drunk because nothing says I'm smart like going to a haunted forest that disappears people and getting absolutely wankered. So they drink like two large litre bottles of Jack Daniels, a lot of beer, but I guess American beer is like drinking a homeopathic pint. They also smoke a lot of weed. There's a lot more rock because it's the 2000s and we all smoke weed and we listen to rock music that is just 
lists of substances that you can abuse. That's the song. It's just like Valium, cocaine, Nicorette, Lucky Charms, woo! But yeah, they get wankered. And uh, Kim makes eerie eye contact, like heavy eye contact, with an owl. I don't know what that's about. The next day, Tristan wakes up from a very disturbing dream in which she takes a towel into the river to drown a bloody fetus. And then she wakes up and is disturbed. They find that their entire camp has been wrecked. All of the notes that they had have been shredded. All of the camera equipment has been smashed up. What I will point out is that the, the notes have not been ripped up. They have been put through a shredder and the resulting fine ribbons of paper have been sprinkled all around. So either the witch had been to Office Depot or someone brought their shredder with them. These are the only two scenarios I will accept. Jeff is really annoyed by this, obviously, because it's his camera equipment that's been smashed up. But he says, how did this happen? We were all meant to be awake. To which I would argue, were you? Because getting massively drunk and stoned is not a precursor to wakefulness. Coffee is maybe cocaine, but not two depressants that are going to send you straight to sleep. Never did they organise a watch. They then say that they must have blacked out, which, yes, alcohol blacking out. These two things might be connected, guys. They're idiots, they never put this together. But they do blame the other group for coming back and roughing up their stuff, which I guess you can kind of see that they would think that. That's pretty reasonable. Kim says that the tapes, however, are okay and that she can locate them with her psychic powers. And then Julie does locate them to the spot where the previous Blair Witch tapes were found buried. Heaps of good omens there. Tristan says that she feels sick and wants to leave and sits down, while basically everyone starts yelling at each other and blaming each other for the disappearance slash breaking of the equipment. And people turn on Kim and ask her how she knew the tapes were there. Tristan then lifts up her hand and puts it on her face, and then leaves a bloody handprint on her face. Everyone then looks at her and realises that she is having a miscarriage and somehow didn't notice that she had her like hand in her lap getting covered in blood and then put it on her face, which seems like something that wouldn't happen. They then chuck her in the van and drive to the hospital. We get a shortcut back to Jeff's interrogation at a police station where he says that he can explain the blood in the van because it was Tristan having a miscarriage. And then we arrive at the hospital with Tristan. This worried me and I was right to be worried because after this, we don't actually really go back to the woods. Now, you may remember that the woods were kind of a key part of the Blair Witch Project. One of the first creepy things that happened and continued to happen throughout the entire movie was once in the woods, they couldn't find their way out. They couldn't leave. But these chuckle fucks just jump straight in a van and drive away. That kind of kills the mystique and kind of also ruins an aspect of the law because apparently you can leave the woods once you go in. It's just, I guess it's selective. Otherwise, everyone who went in there would disappear, like the people who found the bodies in all the legends. But it was just weird because I had assumed that they would stay in the woods and they didn't. In Jeff's police interview, they warn him that he's trouble and he will end up back in the loony bin, which is their words, not mine. And uh, it's pretty clear that the cops have it out for him for some reason. It's never described what that is. Erica sits on the floor at the hospital and does a tarot spread because witches are just normal people, guys. They're just like you and me. A weird, wet-looking, rotting child girl, like the girl from The Ring, but if fungus had set in, appears in Tristan's room and does a sort of soft shoe shuffle and then disappears, as you do. She seems disturbed by this. 
Also, her nurse has the kind of clothing and the hair of someone from like the 1940s, and this goes unremarked upon. The group then decide to return to the tapes and try and work out where that missing five hours went. Here's a clue. Mr. Jack Daniels took it. But uh, they decide to go to Jeff's house to make the use of his video equipment. And Jeff's house is then the setting of the entire rest of the movie. So we've moved from the woods to, admittedly, a home that is in the woods in a disused broom factory. Which is architectural goals, I will admit. Jeff's house is reached by a sort of high, perilous bridge over a ravine. Which seems like an odd choice for a factory. How would you get all the brooms out? How would you get a van to the loading dock but apparently this perilous bridge is how they got individual brooms in and out of this factory uh, this is obviously going to become important later and this kind of reminded me of uh, the only film that this really reminded me of the whole the thora birch movie where the kids go to play around in like an underground bunker and there's the ladder that's like broken and they accidentally get locked in and they start turning on each other it didn't remind me of the blair witch project so that was unfortunate once they're out the factory we get another cut back to jeff's interview where the cops say the blood in the van is gonna match those tourists and I'm like, is that even up for debate? He already said that it was Tristan's blood. So obviously it's going to match the tourists. You're trying to prove the wrong thing. This police investigation is shoddy as hell. It is revealed that Jeff has a lot of security cameras inside his house. Again, never revealed why, but I guess maybe one of the features of his particular uh, mental illness is paranoia. So that's why he has them. He also has a lot of locks on the door and an alarm, which when you open the door sounds like dogs barking, which is meant to frighten intruders which is strange. They get shown around his place and see all his heaps of merch that he's made for the Blair Witch. And Erica calls this cultural appropriation of witchcraft, which is ballsy, considering she is Wiccan. Which, although I practice myself, does basically come from a lot of different sources hodgepodge together, which is the, the definition of what she's accusing him of. But there we go, the ball's on this woman. Uh, Kim tells Jeff that they never should have let him out, so implying that she knows, I guess, psychically about his background i was waiting for it to be revealed that she had actually secretly been spying on all of them but this is not the case uh, tristan says that the girl she saw at the hospital was eileen treacle i had no idea who that was and i had to google her apparently she was a little girl who lived in burkittsville slash blair in the 1800s and during a harvest day event was drowned in a pool and people who witnessed this event but i guess didn't help saw a ghostly hand come out of the water to get her so i guess she's just a victim of the blair witch this is not covered in the movie i had to check the wikipedia for this so enjoy that erica kim and jeff go to watch the tape and tristan reveals her dream to Stephen about the fetus and seems to blame herself for her own miscarriage which is weirdly dark because it's, it seems and is suggested by various other things that happen in the film that this is being viewed as the murder of a child as opposed to the loss of the potential for a child she can't have been that pregnant if she was still considering an abortion so i get that it's upsetting if it's a baby that you actually want but she didn't so i don't understand her feelings on this matter and the film is not in a big rush to explore those feelings in any tasteful sense. In watching the tape, Jeff and the two witchy people uh, realise that the tree that they saw at the house site is not on the tape. There is instead just a kind of very skinny sapling, which is strange. It is also revealed that Kim has some sort of big red mark or rash which you see slightly on her back, like below her collar. And she says that it doesn't hurt, it just like 
burns a bit, which is weird, and she should get that checked. A flash on the tape then shows a ring of dead bodies lying down, and Stephen connects this to the massacre at Coffin Rock, which was discussed in the first Blair Witch movie. He hears Tristan call to him, but then when he gets to the room, she is asleep, and he hears crying from outside. And when he gets outside, there's a little girl, the same one from the hospital. She's not doing a soft shoe shuffle now. She's more doing the moonwalk on, on the bridge. And she says, you brought it back with you. Uh, and then he goes back inside and Tristan says that she also heard the crying. So a lot of spooky events are now happening. Tristan and Steve argue about going home. She wants to stay there because she wants to understand what happened to them. Uh, but he then bullies her into taking some sleeping pills. It feels like they're going to have to stay here anyway because I feel like now we're in the portion of the movie where no one can leave. Erica and Jeff discover a naked woman on the tape uh, kind of dancing around the skinny little sapling as if it's a maypole. And uh, they try and like do various things to the tape to work out the identity of this person and to make this make sense. Erica then has a dream or hallucination, or maybe it's Stephen having it, unclear, in which Erica comes on to Stephen and then reveals that they both have runes carved into them and then she rips his chest open. When they've cleared up the tape a little bit, it's revealed that the naked woman is actually Erica and she freaks out because she doesn't remember this dance that she's doing. She doesn't remember anything about the period where they blacked out. And that's kind of an interesting idea that the film doesn't really make enough of. If the first film is about, like, tapes being left behind by people who have gone missing, I think it's an interesting concept to, in the sequel, talk about tapes that show things that people who haven't gone missing do not remember. So, like, missing time. That is discussed in the film, but it isn't really the main focus, which is quite disappointing. Once all this has transpired, Kim decides the most reasonable thing to do is to borrow the keys to the van so she can go buy beer. So I guess Kim can leave. She does first stop off to see Erica to see if Erica wants anything. But Erica's freaking out and is doing some sort of circle or cleansing ritual, but becoming increasingly frantic. She says that she can sense something that they brought back with them and that she has runes on her body which are growing and then says that obviously uh, Kim has them as well. So there's some worrying stuff going on. Erica also says that the runes mean that you have been touched by a witch and are the next to die, which I'm not sure of where she has got that context, but it's very specific. Like, are anywhere that you see runes an area that has been touched by a witch and that mean you are the next person to die? Or is it just in this specific situation? Because I thought she didn't know anything about the Blair Witch or thought that the Blair Witch was just a wrongly accused woman. So Erica makes no sense. Kim goes to get literally six beers from the corner shop. I feel like she should have stocked up, but no, she goes there to buy six beers. The same locals that were there before are still in there. The guy is still fixing the fridge. The woman is still walking around with her cart. It's like it's like not real. And that is quite unsettling. Again, I wish more had been made of that. The cashier refuses to serve her because she's a goth and they don't like them in their parts because I guess they blow shit wide open. So they have a brief argument at which point uh, the woman who's just like filing her nails uh, gets 
Really annoyed with Kim, Kim throws money at her, bags up her six beers and leaves. On the way back out uh, to Jeff's house, something smashes through the rear window of the van and uh, looking back, Kim sees like local youths. So uh, she's annoyed at them, but then she turns to the front and sees ghostly children who outrank local youths because they are the local youths of yesteryear. She swerves to avoid them and hits a telephone pole, but the car isn't that badly damaged, so she just, like, gets back on the road and drives back to the bunker. Meanwhile, Erica is continuing to freak out, and Jeff is just watching her on closed-circuit television. Unclear, but he's creepy, and Tristan has now seen the eye contact owl from earlier. I don't know what the deal with the owl is. When Kim gets back to the bunker, she goes to unpack her six beers. I don't know why it annoyed me so much, uh, but she's cut by a nail file, which has just been left in the pack. So implying maybe the cashier put it there or how did it get in with the beers? Weird. Uh, but she doesn't tell anyone about this. She goes to take Jeff a coffee, but he doesn't respond when she speaks to him. And then when he turns around, he's I guess, a prisoner being executed by electric chair. Maybe that's meant to be the hermit, but this turns out to be just something that she's seeing for like a second because everyone's having these weird waking hallucinations now. The next day, Erica volunteers to drive Stephen and Tristan to the airport bus station out of town because I guess someone has to take them so that they can bring Jeff's van back. But then literally after she agrees to do this, she goes apparently upstairs to talk to Jeff and in the intervening time vanishes, which is worrying. Looking outside, Jeff sees that his van is now completely totaled. It looks like it fell off a fucking cliff. He gets angry at Kim because she said that she just got into like a fender bender. And obviously the fender is more than bent. So he's having a freak out about that. Kim's having a freak out that the van didn't look like that when she drove it back. So, uh... That's weird. And Jeff also now has bloody kids' handprints on him. They go looking for Erica within Broom Factory apartment. Not sure what to call this place. And they find her discarded clothes laid out as if she has just kind of like disappeared out of them in the middle of her magic circle. So something's happened here. Not sure what. They decide to call her dad to, to see where she's gone, which is a weird choice because she's only been missing for about 20 minutes at this point. So her, her dad's not going to know where she's gone but it's an excuse to put some more creepy shit in the film because they're told that the minister has never had children so erica's not who she says she was it's never revealed if this is real or if this is another hallucination but there you go stephen believes they're all experiencing group hysteria which uh yeah but also probably some supernatural shit as well they find on the videotapes that there is evidence of someone smashing up their equipment but can't see who it is. Jeff then gets a phone call from the cops and gets told to turn on the news which is showing a report of murders at Coffin Rock and these are the the group that they sent up there who have apparently been killed. He's told that they're not to leave town and that they will be questioned so uh, yeah things aren't looking good for our group. An owl then smashes through the window it might be the eye contact owl, it might not be. Jeff seems to kind of lose his grip a little bit here and become a lot more paranoid because he blames Erica for everything that's happening and seems to think that she is really a witch with like magic powers that can kill people. Tristan says she sees Erica outside, but when everyone goes over there, Erica's not there, so Tristan's clearly like going through something. But then she tells Stephen to look again, and when he looks again, he sees Erica naked outside dancing around a tree 
and she's dancing backwards around the tree which takes some doing he then goes out onto the bridge and she kind of moves away from him but like it kind of looks like the film of her is being played backwards which is kind of cool then the bridge breaks and he plummets down but does not die even though tristan ignores his calls for help and he has to be rescued by kim and jeff Tristan at this point breaks down and says that she's having Ellie Kenwood's dreams and that Ellie was hanged from the big tree, which I guess explains its appearance at the beginning of the film. Kim then discovers files on all of them in in Jeff's drawer, which suggests that he has been surveilling them and digging into their pasts because he has pictures of them as kids. So everyone turns on Jeff because Erica's not around right now and they need someone to scapegoat for a bit. The sheriff calls Jeff then and says that he's outside and wants to talk to him. And Jeff is like, but the bridge is broken. And when he gets to the door, he can hear the sheriff like yelling at him to open it and to come outside. But when he opens it, the bridge is still broken. And on the other side, there are dogs barking at him. So kind of the same as the alarm. I will point out that he's growing a lot of marijuana in his apartment. And that is probably not unconnected to whatever the fuck is happening right now. He then goes to grab a shotgun because I guess he hates dogs. What a prick. But when he opens the door again, the dogs are gone. But the bridge is still broken. When he goes to return the gun because... Stephen and everyone else come and shout at him for having a gun he opens the door again and finds Erica facing the corner of the closet dead so I guess Erica's just not coming back we never really find out what happened to her or why we do find out how she got into the closet Tristan appears to be talking backwards uh, she says everything is backwards and then starts talking backwards but says that everything is backwards because it's Widdershins, which is something that Erica brought up earlier uh, to remove the evil. This is the film's big thing, apparently. They're really into backwards video. Was rewind technology only just invented? Was this the beginning of Blockbuster's Be Kind Rewind campaign? I don't know, but rewinding is like a big deal in this movie. So they decide to watch the films backwards to try and work out what happened that night. Although surely it would still show you the same things, but just in a different order. But for some reason, playing it backwards reveals whole sections of the movie that they never saw before. So that's strange. What they see is Tristan presiding over some sort of occult ritual slash orgy. In that she seems to be directing everyone else who is naked and kind of running around dancing and making out with each other. Uh, which is strange all the naked people then grab knives and run off presumably to go kill the people at coffin rock and tristan seems to approach the camera and look at it directly before hiding the tapes elsewhere and we see jeff breaking the camera equipment and various other things so obviously she is the ringleader of whatever happened to them stephen jeff and kim who are the only people left at this point confront tristan and ask her why she isn't marked with the like the runes and everything like they are she continues to say a lot of very strange provocative stuff intimating that she is possessed that she did it on purpose tells them that they're all gonna die you know a lot of exorcist little girl shit jeff tells her to confess and chases her up onto a sort of catwalk higher up in the factory and he says that witches kill children and she killed the baby which is gross jeff get it together then she appears to be possessed more like wraps a rope around her neck and basically taunts Stephen until he shoves her and she goes off the edge of the catwalk 
and is hanged. The three of them then have a flashback to the night of the murders, seemingly remembering the massacre at Coffin Hill uh, and their own parts in it and how they obviously went there and killed everybody. We then cut to some news bulletins about them being arrested for ritualistic murders. We see that the van and bridge are both unharmed, so whatever happened is a hallucination. A lot of this news coverage seems to centre around movies and fictional things inspiring real life violence. So it feels like it's kind of trying to pull a scream on us, but just isn't succeeding. We then get more of the interrogation and... Kim is confronted over murdering the store clerk with her own nail file, which I guess is how it got into the beers. Stephen angrily tells the police to watch the tapes because it will prove that they're innocent. And then they show the respective remaining characters clips from the tapes, which show Kim killing the store clerk, Jeff staging the events of Erica's death, laying her clothes out and putting her in the closet. And then Stephen killing Tristan while everyone is still saying what they were saying in that scene. But Tristan is crying and begging them not to, like, be hunting her down and trying to kill her. So that makes them look very guilty. Stephen denies everything. And then we get the credit sequence uh, showing, I guess, more goths heading into the woods. Because now something else terrible has happened there. And the cycle repeats. So according to Wikipedia, this movie got kind of panned. And it won some, like, Razzies or whatever for being, like, worst sequel. Sequel no one wanted. Bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. I kind of agree with that because a lot of stupid things do happen in the film and it basically does feel kind of like a blend between the whole and maybe the haunting of Hill House or the house on Haunted Hill. The modern one with Jeffrey Rush. But those two things just like smushed together. It's just a load of people together throwing some dreams and hallucinations and watch everyone go mad at each other. But I think there's also some interesting ideas in there. Um, for my purposes, it was obviously a lot more witchy than the original. It seemed like they were focused more on the Blair Witch as a person uh, who actually had a name and a history of practicing witchcraft. So there was that. And also the presence of Erica and to some extent Kim, because she was also a psychic, uh, added more like occult stuff in and made it more witchy, which I appreciated. I also kind of like the idea that it's taking essentially a film that they made and pretended was a real documentary, but then making another film about that supposed real documentary and that it has inspired real repercussions. But in reality, everything is still fake. So it has kind of some interesting things to say about film and how things that are presented as real aren't always as they seem, uh, very literally in the case of what all the characters in this film are seeing. I don't think it's a good sequel to The Blair Witch, but I think if maybe they had removed all of the mentions to that film and just made it about something else, then it would have just been kind of like a second-rate witchy horror film with some hallucinations in. By relating it back to the Blair Witch and the events and legacy of that film, it gives it context as a statement about what is real and what is lies in an age where basically everything is being recorded. And if you don't remember something, but there's video evidence of it, how does that make you feel? How does that impact you in your memory of events? And also, how do the things that we see in films and television affect us as a society, whether they're real or not, or if they're like pretending to be real? So. 
I guess what I'm saying is it kind of adds that layer to what is otherwise kind of a very cookie cutter horror film that was quite easily bashed out. I did kind of hate Erica, but I also enjoyed her as a character. It's also it's always funny when you get like a Wiccan character in something and you kind of watch how people who probably aren't Wiccan interpret what Wiccans are like from like an outside perspective. Like how much they get right and how much like they get wrong. Well, that's pretty interesting. If you're looking for just a horror film which has a witch as a character, this is the film you should watch. You don't even really have to have seen The Blair Witch Project because it basically just tells you what happened. Just kind of watch it as like a standalone, non-canonical fan movie is probably my best take on it. And uh, yeah, I can kind of see why people were annoyed at it and a bit upset. But also I think it really shows like the, the way that the 2000s framed everything. The, the kind of music, the kind of clothes and attitudes in the film are very 2000s. And you could probably take this into a time capsule and just fire it off into space to warn people to never come here. I hope you've enjoyed this review. If you'd like to get in touch, uh, just let me know if there are any other films that you'd like me to watch. Are there any other films that have like stereotypical pagan or Wiccan characters in them? Because I would love to give those a watch. Is it worth me watching like the new Blair Witch movie, which is meant to be a sequel to the old Blair Witch movie, but they just called it Blair Witch? Confusing. Is it worth me watching that? Let me know. Get in touch on Twitter or in the comments on the YouTube version of the podcast. And as always, I will see you in the next one. Bye!